Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward by faith. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. The passage, remember, begins with an explanation of faith. It continues with examples of faith. And in this passage, we really look at two kinds of faith. One fearless in the face of opposition. The other selfless in the face of plenty and pleasure. The writer of Hebrews will now mention the parents of Moses and Moses. And so beginning in verse 23, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they weren't afraid of the king's command. The faith of Moses really begins with the faith of his mother and his father. For those of you who are very familiar with the story what I'm about to say is going to sound a lot like repetition. You'll remember that after Joseph's death, the people of Israel increased in numbers and they prospered. They became a large group of people in the land. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the chronology, remember Jacob enters Egypt because his son Joseph is already there. The brothers make their home in Egypt And guess what? A generation goes by, and another generation goes by, and another generation goes by. And then a hundred years have gone by, and two hundred years have gone by, three hundred years have gone by, and four hundred years have gone by. And as you can imagine, a lot can happen in four hundred years. After many generations, the king of Egypt was threatened by their presence. The children of Israel became slaves to the Egyptians. The king that enslaved them thought that he could manage them like cattle, slowing down their reproductive capacity. The king or the pharaoh made it a law that all of the newborn 
sons would be killed at birth. And that story is found in Exodus chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. And we won't have time to go over all of the passages in Exodus as we go through this particular portion of scripture. But I just want to, again, just remind you of some key concepts in this opening portion in Exodus chapter 1. Where it says in verse 21 and 22, and so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. It became the law of the land that Hebrew men or boys, if you will, were to be executed. They were to be thrown into the river. And the females were to be kept. And what's interesting is the parents of Moses loved the Lord. And they loved their newborn child. So when you begin in verse 23, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. It wasn't the faith of Moses. It was the faith of his parents. How do we know, by the way, the parents of Moses loved the Lord and loved the child? That's a legitimate question, and you should ask it. And I think that the answer is found when we look at what they actually wind up doing. In other words, their actions speak louder than words. In their actions, they say, you know what? We're going to defy the king, and we're going to honor God. i got to be honest with you. This afternoon when on my radio program, I was rereading John Stone Street's commentary about what was going on in our country and this issue of abortion. And I once again stumbled across the number. 53 million children have been killed since 1973. That means, not necessarily for all of you, but at least for me, since I was in high school... 53 million men and women who are supposed to be here aren't here. Because the law of the land in the United States of America is that a person can kill their unborn child for any reason or no reason at all. But in the passage when it says, by faith Moses when he was born was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child, that should interest you. That word beautiful is translated proper in the old King James version. It says they saw that he was a proper child, but it doesn't really capture the meaning of the Greek term astion. The Greek word is astion and it, and Weiss translates the word comely to God, or he was beautiful or attractive 
in respect to God, what in the world does that mean? Some have suggested that he was beautiful physically, not simply in the sense of attractive, but rather the parents sensed that God's hand was on the child. And it would appear that Moses' parents sensed that there was a supernatural calling. There was this overwhelming sense of God's plan for the child. And again, for those of you who are mothers and fathers, each and every one of us, when, when a woman gives birth to a child or when a, when a mom and a dad have a child and you give birth to your child, there's this sense in your heart as you're looking at your child and you're thinking about what God has provided for you, it's hard not to escape the idea that God has placed this child in your family because God has a special plan for the child. Imagine you live in a world where you think that children have no plan and no purpose and no reason for existence. But the passage seems to indicate that Moses' parents, once they give birth to this child and she has this child, he, the father, and she, the mother, are overwhelmed by the sense of God's plan and purpose in the life of the child. Did the parents of Moses love their child? I think that the answer is yes. Did Pharaoh's cruel command that the male children be killed, should it have been followed? After all, he is the king. And the answer is, of course not. When a ruler gives a wicked, disgusting command. It's not to be followed. Now, again, I want you to think about what you're reading and why it's important. Did the parents of Moses believe that God would somehow use their child in the eternal plan that he has for his people? You see, the plan goes all the way back to the promised seed. And the promised land. Remember what we've been studying in this 11th chapter of Hebrews. God revealed things about faith to Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. God had a plan. God had a purpose. He made a promise, a promised seed and a promised land. Did the parents of Moses believe that God was going to use their child? And the answer is yes. And because they believed that with all of their heart, they embarked on a plan to make sure that they would preserve this child because they believed something was going to take place in the life of the child. And the writer of Hebrews makes the point that the parents of Moses by faith honored and obeyed God even though they themselves would never see the promised seed or the promised land. Do the parents of Moses have any idea how his life is going to turn out? How his ministry is going to turn out? And how he is going to be used prophetically in this incredible thing called the plan of God for the life of humanity? And neither do we, do we? 
a woman conceives a child. She's pregnant with the child. She prays over her belly and over that child and over its future. The parents of Moses are going to defy the king. Do you know why they're going to defy the king? Because they're going to obey their hearts. And you see, there's a kind of a faith. There's a kind of a faith that says, I am going to go against what the culture says and what the government says and what the king says, especially when the culture and the king and the government invite me to reject the promises of God, to reject the revelation of God. They were fearless in the face of the cruel command. And I want you to think about it. If they're caught, they will be killed. There is a price that they're going to have to obey in order to defy the king and obey their own heart. And most of you are familiar with the story. Moses is placed in a reed basket. He's set adrift onto the Nile. He's only three months old. The parents apparently were aware that the daughter of Pharaoh bathed in a particular spot, in a particular place, on this particular river, and they sensed in hope, they sensed in hope that she would have compassion on the child, and that she would keep him, and that she would raise him, and for those of you who are familiar with the story, you'll remember that she in fact does take the child, and she does have compassion, and she does keep the child, but remember, she is childless, she has no way to take care of the child and she notices that there's a young Hebrew daughter in the area and she said that the the daughter says would you like a nurse in order to make sure that there's a provision for your child and think about it the the daughter of Pharaoh says yes calls for Moses mother and takes the child and attaches it to her breast and then pays her money in order to raise her own child Isn't it amazing what God is capable of doing when he has a plan and he has a purpose? And so in verse 29 or 24, when it says Moses in the the self-denying faith, in the very next verse, look what it says. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I want you to understand when we go from that first point to the second point, according to Jewish tradition, the Pharaoh at this time, had only one child, and it was a daughter, and she also was childless. And if that's the case, and if that's true, Moses would have quite possibly been the heir to the throne. In other words, in that culture and society, remember what the daughter of Pharaoh is saying. Is this your child? Of course it's my child. Who is the father of the child? The Nile is the father of the child. Remember, in their culture, in their way of thinking, She's a goddess. She's a living goddess. And it would make perfect sense to them that the God of the Nile would impart another God to her. And in their culture and society, Moses has like godlike status. And if it is the case that Moses could have possibly been the heir to the throne, minimum, minimum, he is the prince of Egypt. And because minimum he's the prince of of Egypt, the position allows Moses 
all of the benefits of that spectacular wealth and prestige and honor. Moses had access to the finest schools, the finest possessions, the finest slaves, the finest power. Moses had access to everything that anyone could ever want. I want you to pause and think for just a moment. Do you suspect that the daughter of Pharaoh who pulls him from the Nile and rescues him in your wildest imagination, can you imagine her loving him? I think that the answer is yes. You know, there's something crazy in the human condition. There's something that scientists call oxytocin that when you're a male or a female when you're around a baby there's there's this chemical that's released in our body that causes us to want to love babies and care for them and protect them this is why ladies it's crazy to me i'll i'll watch my wife she'll be in target or she'll be in coals a baby will a, a woman will walk by with a baby and all of a sudden it's like all the ladies just sort of gather together and they look at the baby and they go isn't this baby wonderful isn't this baby lovely and and it's really true they love these babies I'm going to suggest to you she loves this baby and he grows up to be a man And I suspect that the daughter of Pharaoh loves her son. She knows he's an adopted son, defying her father's edict, rescuing the child. The child is attached to his own mother's breast. And by the way, as he is attached to his own mother's breast and he is with his sister and he's with these other people, do you think all of a sudden they begin to talk to him about Hebrews and about the Hebrew God and about Abraham and about Isaac and about Jacob and about Joseph and the history of their people and the history of their land. I got to tell you something. It, it is beyond, it is beyond, it is beyond belief that Moses could have been clueless concerning who these people were, where they came from, and their important role that they played in the culture. And it says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age... According to the book of Exodus and according to the book of Acts, he's about 40 years old. And he has to make a decision. By, by faith, Moses, when he becomes of age, refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He has to make a decision. Is he going to give all of this up? Is he going to sacrifice everything for God? Is he going to give it all up? Is he going to sacrifice this power, this privilege Is he going to give everything up to follow the God who's made a promise? There comes a point in his life where he will have to identify himself either as an Egyptian or he's going to have to identify himself as one of the people of God. Now it's interesting to me, we live in a world where some men identify themselves as women, where some white people identify themselves as black people, where ignorant politicians would like to be identified as smart politicians, 
where immoral people would like to be called people of character. I'm going to suggest to you there are even some Christians who self-identify as Christians. But they don't necessarily believe that the Bible is true or that Jesus is the Lord. And probably each and every one of you at, at some point in your life had to come to a place where you were called to make a, a decision about what you really believed and who you really are and what kind of a life you're going to live in a direction that you're going to follow. And Moses comes to that same crossroad. And it says, by faith, he becomes of age. He refuses to identify as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. According to the Bible, Moses, like I said, may have been about 40 years old when he makes this decision. We live in a strange time. Even some Christians think that the call to follow Jesus is a call to abundance and a call to prosperity and a call to comfort and a call to ease and a call to plenty. But the Bible says that when Jesus calls a person, he bids them to take up their cross and die. By the way, we are called to a life of love and a life of hope and a life of joy and a life of forgiveness. All of those things we are called to Love and faith and hope and joy and peace. It's okay. It really is okay for you to want to experience love and joy and peace. It's really okay for you to want to, to experience a life of, of, of an inward conscience that's cleansed where you have a right relationship with God and you have a right relationship with the people who are around you. But some people wonder, well, does love and joy and peace also include abundance and prosperity and comfort and ease and plenty? And for some people, there is a certain measure of abundance and there's certain measure of prosperity and comfort and ease and plenty, but is that typically the lifestyle of most Christians living in this fallen world? If history and geography are any indication of the answer to that question is, guess what? There are a lot of Christians who are living in deep poverty and profound persecution and profound difficulty. Moses wasn't born the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but he found himself heir to incredible wealth and incredible status, incredible power, but he will embark on a life that will cause him to give up the world in order to follow the Lord and obey God's plan and fulfill God's will. And should it shock you, should it surprise you, that for some of us, there are certain things that we have to give up in order to follow the Lord, obey God's plan, 
fulfill God's will. And so by faith, the Bible says, Moses chose God and God's people rather than this world and its pleasures. And for some of you, that might be shocking. That maybe an element of faith and a dimension of faith is in fact this. It is a choice to obey God's plan, believe God's promise, fulfill God's will. So by faith, Moses will choose sacrifice rather than self. He will forsake the present in order to embrace the future. He will abandon the temporary in order to embrace the eternal. Moses would courageously look to God rather than man in verse 27. Believe God's message of salvation for himself and his people in verse 28. The writer of Hebrews continues to add facets to this jewel that you and I have been calling faith remembering his Jewish readers. Remember what we've read in this chapter 11. Remember his Jewish readers and remember that the challenge that they face even as he's writing these words down. They're wondering if they're going to be able to make it. It's hard being a Christian. It's hard putting up with the pain and the persecution, the ridicule, the rejection, and the isolation. And so many of them are tempted to go back to something that had at least some measure of what seems the absence of conflict. And remember what the writer has already said in verse 6, but without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God has to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so the faith of Moses is sacrificial. It is expectant. It is enduring. It is saving. And so there's a reason why the, the writer of this book is putting all of these elements into place because he wants the Jewish reader not only to understand what he's saying but also to remind them that he knows exactly what they're going through and for some of you you might think the only reason why you would call anyone to a life that is sacrificial and expectant and enduring and saving is because you don't understand the difficulties that we face and the bible says no I understand exactly the difficulties that you face, the challenges that you face. Note what the text says. Moses didn't throw in his future with his people based on blood or based on family, but by faith. That should be interesting to each and every one of you. When it says... In verse 25, by faith, Moses, when he becomes of age, refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, he chooses to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Verse 26, esteeming the the reproach of Christ's riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looks to a reward. And we're going to talk about that in just a, a moment. But again, You've heard the expression, blood is thicker than water. But he's not doing this because all of a sudden he discovers, guess what? 
all of these years, I'm thinking that I'm a God that was given birth by the Nile only to find out that I'm in fact a Jewish person. And so he decides, I had no idea that I was actually a Jew. I've heard story after story after story of people who said, my, my grandparents didn't want us to know that we were Jewish and so they didn't tell us. Even these last few days where a woman in Spokane, Washington, who was the head of the NAACP, um, it come, her parents come forth and they say, no, she's white, I'm white, mom is white, dad is white. A very prominent black spokesperson said, is it possible, is there any possibility whatsoever that she might be black because she self-identifies with black people and black culture and, and, and the, the circumstances that are important to black people. And when you, again, when you think about all of this kind of stuff and you think, okay, the, would it make sense to you? Can you imagine all of a sudden you wake up one morning, your mother and your father, who you thought were your mother and your father, all of a sudden say to you, you know what, we're really not your mother and your father and you're actually Jewish. And you go, what does that mean to me? What does that mean for me? But Moses doesn't throw in his future with the people based on blood or family. He does it by faith. I want you to think about this for just a moment. He identifies with his people by faith. By faith, he believes God is going to fulfill a promise to his people. By faith, even though the evidence seemed to indicate that these promises weren't going to come true Anytime soon, remember what I've already told you, that by the time Joseph breathes his last breath and Moses is saved from the water of the, or, or, or from drowning in the Nile, that some almost 400 years have gone by and these people are entrenched, deeply entrenched in a culture of slavery. And it doesn't look like they're going to be free anytime soon. But by faith, by faith, Moses believes that what God said to Abraham and what God said to Isaac and what God said to Jacob and what God said to Joseph, that the, the time was coming, a time was coming, a time was coming when these people had to be released. They must of necessity be made free. He believed God was going to fulfill his promise to his people, even though all of the evidence didn't seem to support that position. And again, this is part of the faith that he's talking about and inviting you to believe. When you look around you and you, you look at a culture and you look at a society that doesn't even for a minute believe that the Bible is true. They don't even believe for a minute that Jesus is the Lord. And they think that you are foolish to forsake them, to embrace him. But look what the writer says in verse 26. It's an expectant faith. He says, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in heaven, for he looked to the reward. 
it's hard to understand that sentence in our culture and our society because reproach is a word that has fallen out of favor in the English language. Do you know what reproach means? Esteeming the reproach of Christ. In this particular instance, the meaning is suffering, rejection, misunderstanding. Here, the writer is saying Moses chooses rather than to embrace pleasure, acceptance, understanding that he is willing to embrace suffering and rejection and misunderstanding because what the Jewish people were experiencing in slavery becomes a type and a picture of what Jesus will experience in his ministry The Amplified Bible translates this verse, he considered the contempt and abuse and shame born for Christ, the Messiah who was to come. In other words, Moses anticipating that the Jewish people were being treated with contempt. The Jewish people were being abused. The the Jewish people were being shamed. That it became a type and a picture of what would happen to Jesus. Jesus would be treated with contempt. He would be treated with abuse. He would be treated with shame. And then he said, I would rather, I would rather be identified with these people in contempt and abuse and shame Knowing that God's plan and God's promises and God's purposes for these people and their future was more important than anything that this world has to offer. That's the point. And so when it says, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward What he's describing is that Moses' faith is an expectant faith. Remember, he looks forward to the reward. Moses, remember, believes what we've been talking about in these examples of faith. Moses believes the promise given to Abraham. He believes the promise given to Isaac and Jacob. The word esteeming, by the way, means to be considered and thought about and then you make a conscious deliberate decision to suffer with his people in order to inherit the promises that God made rather than enjoy the riches of Egypt we see that in microcosm in our own culture back in the 50s and the 60s where white people joined hands with black people and said you know what hanging black people is wrong It's wrong, it's wrong. And you know what? I'm going to identify with the black person in their plight. And guess what? What you do to them, you can do to me. And if that means you put a hose on me or you turn the dogs on me, then so be it. Many white pastors joined hands with black pastors in Selma, Alabama, and then some of them found themselves in jail 
with Martin Luther King Jr. But can you imagine living in the year 2000 and then living in the year 2015? Martin Luther King, when he was writing his very famous essay on letters from a Birmingham prison, was asked by a white pastor what he was doing in jail. And Martin Luther King replied, what are you doing outside of jail? Sometimes there comes a point in our life where we have to identify with people who are hurt and people who are oppressed and people who are abused. And we as Christians have to identify ourselves with Saeed Abedini in an Iranian prison who is in an Iranian jail. You know what his crime is? He built orphanages in Iran for needy children. So let's lock them up. We identify with our brothers and sisters in North Korea. We identify with our brothers and sisters in China. We identify with our brothers and sisters in India. Moses says that he will suffer with his people and inherit the promises of God rather than enjoy the riches of Egypt. William Barclay rightly writes, quote, Moses was the man who gave up all earthly glory for the sake of the people of God. And then he writes, Christ gave up his glory for men. He became despised and rejected. He abandoned the glory of heaven for the buffets and the scourging and the shame inflicted by men. Moses in his day and generation shared in the sufferings of Christ. Moses was the man who chose the loyalty that led to suffering rather than the ease which led to earthly glory. He would rather suffer for the right than enjoy luxury with the wrong. He knew that the prizes of earth were contemptible compared with the ultimate reward of God, unquote. We sing the song, don't we? I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. Remember what we've been doing when I've been going through this chapter and I've asked you the question, what did Abel really believe? What did Enoch really believe? What did Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph And the parents of Moses and Moses, what did he really, really believe? And you know what? Apparently, he really believed that Israel was the promised seed. He really believed that God had a plan for this nation. He really believed that God would use this people To bring forth a Messiah and a Savior, he really believed that Israel would inherit a land and experience peace with God. He really believed that there was a rest in the Lord. He really believed that by turning away from the riches of Egypt for the rewards of the promises, that God was going to honor him in that. And so it shouldn't come as a shock and a surprise to you when 
when the Bible invites you to believe exactly the same thing. And not only is it a faith, it's, it's an enduring faith in verse 27. Look what it says. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he forsook, by the way, that word forsook means give up once and for all. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that in verse 27, I think the reference isn't to his first leaving, but his second leaving. For those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, you'll remember that there were two times when Moses left Egypt. Do you remember the first time he left Egypt? He left Egypt in Exodus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It says, when he went out the second day in Exodus chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill, kill me like you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Remember what happened. He killed an Egyptian who was oppressing his people. So what are we to think? It says, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Well, what do you mean? Well, is this a contradiction? Did Moses flee Egypt because he was afraid of the Pharaoh? You might read the passage and think, well, yeah. But here in Hebrews, the writer says, not fearing the wrath of the king. Remember, people will always say to you, the Bible is full of contradictions. Is this a contradiction? How do we resolve this? The answer, strangely, is found in Acts chapter 7, verses 23 and through 25 in the famous speech given by Stephen when he's recounting the history of the Jewish people and he says and when he was 40 years old speaking of Moses it came into his heart to visit his brethren the children of Israel and seeing one of them suffer wrong he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. I want you to think about this for a moment. Moses, in his mind, at age 40, believed that God had a special plan for him and a special purpose for him, and that probably included delivering the people of Egypt, but in his own mind, he was thinking that he would have to do that, and he was looking for the help from the Hebrew people. It never occurred to him that God had a different plan and a different purpose, that God was going to supernaturally deliver the people of Egypt through his own mighty power. Is Moses afraid of the king? No. Or the Pharaoh? No. Who is Moses afraid of? Moses is afraid of being alone. He's afraid of not having the support of the Hebrew people. That's what it says in Acts. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they didn't understand. So what does all of this mean? Moses understood for some time that God had chosen him to act in some capacity as deliverer. How is that possible? Did Moses learn that he was adopted? Yes. Did Moses find out from his mother? Possibly. Did Moses learn something apparently? 
At some point, did Moses find out about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, whatever the source, whether it was his mom and dad or whether it was God's Holy Spirit moving on Moses at an early age, something stirs inside of him. Something stirs inside of him and he begins to understand that God has a plan for him, but then he tries to accomplish God's plan according to his own power and his own resources. Have you ever thought, God has a plan for me? And then you try to fulfill that plan according to your own plans, your own resources, your own strength, your own abilities, your own talents. And you know the story, Moses leaves Egypt. And he joins with the prince of Midian and he winds up marrying a girl and from the age of 40 till about the age of 80 he's wandering in the wilderness until the story of the burning bush you all know the story and how God commands him to go back to Egypt because he's going to fulfill the plans and purposes that he has I think that this is what that passage is by faith he forsook Egypt in the sense of this is the second time not the first time This is the second time because there's going to come a time in Moses' life when he's going to forsake Egypt. That means leave it once and for all and never go back. And guess what? I think this becomes kind of a type and a picture of many Christians' walk. They want to know Jesus. They want to walk with Jesus. They want to love Jesus Egypt becomes a type and a picture of the world and they forsake the world and then they wander in the wilderness because they're always seemingly going back to Egypt. But I think that the Bible at some point will invite you to make a full and a final decision to forsake that world once and for all, forever, never to go back for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Who's invisible? God is invisible. Remember the definition of faith at the very beginning of the, of the passage. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. A practical conviction of the reality of the invisible. Remember the very nature of faith means I don't see. I don't see how God's plan is going to be accomplished. I don't see how God's purpose is going to be accomplished. But I believe that he's made a promise and that he has a purpose. Remember, it's the certainty of the future. As the future is revealed to us by God. And how certain can we be of the future? Everything that God has promised about the future must come to pass. And you know what is the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate promise of the future for you? That a real Jesus is going to really return and take you home. 
You see, your life will never, ever be complete until you begin to understand and believe that. The chapter 11 is full of the stories of endurance. Terrible torture, we're going to find out in verse 35. Ridicule in verse 36. Cruel beatings in in verse 36. Imprisonment in verse 36. Stoning in verse 37. Being sawn in two, verse 37. Death by sword, verse 37. Extreme poverty, verse 37 and 38. And why did they endure? Because they saw the invisible city, verse 10. They saw the invisible city in verses 13 through 15. They saw the invisible city in verse 16. The invisible city is the city that you don't see right now, but it's there. Heaven is a real place. Not because Todd Burpo or Colton Burpo says so. Not because a person has a near-death experience. Jesus said, I go and I prepare a place for you to receive you to myself. I know it's tempting when a little kid tells the story about dying and coming back to life and as entertaining and tempting as it is, I'm here to tell you that the most secure reason to believe in heaven is because Jesus said it exists and promised to take you there. Moses believed that suffering for the sake of Jesus was better than having everything that this world has to offer. And so look at verses 28 and 29. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Now, again, Think about what you're reading. Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood by faith. By faith he kept the Passover. Once again, we see the elements of salvation. Remember what Passover is. God promised judgment on the firstborn. God promised that unless you took a lamb and killed the lamb and put the blood, applied the lamb or the blood on the doorpost, that's what would happen that the destroying angel would pass over. And and I'm happy to talk about all of that stuff, but what I really want to draw to your attention is the elements that you see in the passage. Salvation by blood, innocent blood, shed blood, applied blood, salvation by a person, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Salvation by grace, a grace preceded by the sinner's faith, and a grace followed by a Savior's peace. And we see all of those elements present in biblical salvation. Blood, a person, grace. God brought judgment on Egypt through a series of plagues. And at midnight on April 14th, the death angel passed over Egypt. The angel took the firstborn sons of all the unprotected homes, including the very king, the pharaoh of Egypt, the household of the pharaoh. On the early morning hours of April 15th, all of Israel, 600,000 men plus women and children embarked on a journey. They would leave Egypt and they would pass by its border. And it becomes a type and a picture of your life in Christ. 
You accept Jesus as your savior. You embrace the fact that his sacrifice has made you clean. You are no longer unprotected from judgment, but you are protected from judgment and you leave the place of this world and you enter a brand new world by faith. It says they passed through the Red Sea on dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Again, the parting of the Red Sea is told in Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 through 31. When you have a chance, um, you might just go to Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 through 31. But, but I want to bring something else to your attention just very quickly. What do the Passover and the parting of the Red Sea have in common? What common thing do they share? What both of them share is that it speaks of the power of faith. And then finally, it will speak of the difference of the believer and the unbeliever. The power of faith is redemption, salvation, and deliverance. And then look at what it says at the end of the verse. Whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. This is the difference between the believer and the unbeliever. In Egypt, everybody died, at least the firstborn, who didn't apply the blood. And imagine the Egyptians say, hey, look what the children of Israel have done. They have crossed through the Red Sea. The Red Sea is parted, and they have they." are making a journey by the power of God through the supernatural act of God and then they follow them into the dry land and into the water and then the water consumes them. Do you want to know why? Because not everybody by faith can go on the journey in order to follow the plan of God and the promise of God. Because remember what these people are doing? They're following a supernatural God and they're following a supernatural plan, not because they love God and they believe the promises of God, but because they hate the children of God and they want to kill the children of God. And the very miracle that they embraced and went into wound up destroying them. And so it is for all of the unbelievers and the make-believers who pretend to follow God in order to harass the children of God and the people of God. But they have no intention. They have no intention whatsoever of believing the promises of God or embracing the Son of God or following the plans of God. One speaks of faith and one speaks of a destiny so they were drowned. The parents of Moses made the decision to defy Pharaoh. 
and his command not to execute their child, verse 23. Moses forsook the pleasures of sin, verse 25. Moses leaves Egypt and refuses to be afraid of the Pharaoh, in verse 27. The people of Israel keep the Passover, in verse 28. The people of Israel cross the Red Sea, in verse 29. Later, by the way, in the very next verse, they're going to shout down a city, and a direct descendant of God's Messiah is going to shelter spies, in verse 31. The chapter will invite the reader to consider a kind of faith not that you simply possess but that possesses you it isn't just something that you believe or embrace but it embraces you you know i read this quote several studies back By Joseph Fort Newton, he wrote, Belief is a truth held in the mind. Faith is a fire in the heart. I like that. Spurgeon said, Faith is reason at rest in God. And remember the context quickly. Abel offers by faith a blood sacrifice. It's accepted. Enoch walks with God by faith and God takes him to heaven without seeing death. Noah saw a judgment in the future by faith, builds an ark, saves his family. Abraham doesn't know where he should go or what he should do. But by faith, he believes God. He believes his word. He leaves his home. He lives as a pilgrim. He goes where God leads him. He believes the promise of God. He believes that there's a promised land. He willingly by faith faith offers his son when the only way that God's promise could possibly come true is that God would have to bring his son back to life. And by faith, Isaac believes the word passed down to him by his father. And by faith, he blesses Jacob. And by faith, Jacob, Jacob, in spite of failure, has faith in God's word, blesses Ephraim and Manasseh. By faith, Joseph knows that Israel's going to one day be delivered from Egypt. That the oppressed people and the enslaved people are going to become a free people. And that everybody oppressed and enslaved by sin can be made free. Because of what Jesus has done. And so by faith, Moses experiences the rewards of faith rather than the temporary pleasures of sin for a season. I want you to think about this. It's the kind of faith in God's word that leads to a Passover. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Can you imagine the Egyptians watch the children of Israel Kill a lamb, place its blood in a basin, take a root of hyssop, make a cross on the door, and they laugh, and they laugh, and they laugh. How could killing an innocent animal and placing its blood on a doorstep Postpone judgment. And then your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your family, your friends, they laugh at you 
because you place your trust in the sacrifice of a savior and you apply his blood to the door of your heart and your life and you believe the promise of God that if you will love Jesus and believe in Jesus and believe in his sacrifice that the judgment that you deserve, you'll never experience it. And they laugh and they laugh and they laugh. And then imagine a faith where you're led to the very shores of a gigantic body of water and the water separates and you take the journey from one place to another and you find yourself in the exact place where God had always intended you to be. The place of freedom and the place of deliverance. In a very real sense, Moses will fight He'll fight. His fight in the beginning is misguided. But in the end, it's anointed, prepared. You see, by faith, his parents really believed that God had a special plan for his life. And then God fulfilled that plan. You know, I'm going to suggest that for many of you, there's someone who really believed in you. They looked at you and they said to you, I think God has a very, very special plan for you. I think God has a very, very special purpose for you. And if you'll just hold on, God will fulfill it. And then they fight in prayer to make sure that it happens. These are the last public words of William Booth. He founded the Salvation Army. Many of you know his story. He reached out to the poor and to the needy in Victoria, London. And at age 82, almost blind before an audience of about 10,000 people at the Royal Albert Hall in London, he said, while women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While children go hungry as they do now, I'll fight. When men go to prison in and out, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, I'll fight. While there is a poor girl left on the streets, I'll fight. While there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight fight to the very end by faith Moses fights to the very end that the children of Israel are secure liberated free now, all of a sudden, we begin to understand something. That faith isn't just simply something that I believe. It's something fearless. It's something sacrificial. It's something enduring. It's something worth fighting 
for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Lord, thank you that you invite us to a faith. Not absent reason. Disconnected from truth. But a real faith. Based on a real God. Who makes real promises. And then keeps those promises. And so again, Father, we invite you to expand our faith, to build our faith, to stretch our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.